Hello and welcome back to episode three of the Turbo Team podcast. As always, I'm Jake Brand. Alongside me, Alex Powell. How are you doing, Alex? Doing well, Jake. How are you? I'm good. And today's a special occasion. Joining us, first guest on the show, it's Ben Neeson. How are you, Ben? Oh, I'm doing good, Jake. Thanks for asking. <laughs> That's okay. a killer recording. We're starting over. <laughs> Get, keep ben off the call. Get Ben off the call. Yeah, so if you weren't already scared away by the first two episodes, today might be your last time viewing with Ben. But for real, Ben is a movie connoisseur. His takes are superior to all, according to him. And he he has the best taste in everything. And today, the movie that we all watched was Spotlight, the 2016 winner of Best Motion Picture, directed by Tom McCarthy, starring Michael Keaton and Mark Ruffalo. And it's about and it's about the <clears throat> uncovering of the Catholic priest scandal in Boston at the Catholic Church, and it's it's just a really good movie about the journalism and the investigating that went on behind it. But we'll get more into that. Just for first off, what were you guys' initial thoughts on the second or third viewing of the movie? So I've seen this movie, like, a lot. Like, there's a point where I watched this probably, like, three times in, like, two weeks. Just, I don't know. I really liked it. But I, you know, watching it this last time, I kind of started paying attention a little bit more. And, like, I kind of, my first few times viewing it, we get so many names. Like, just in the first, like, ten minutes, it's kind of hard to keep up with everyone. But this time I did, like, I I actively tried to, like, remember all the names. And then, so I kind of knew what was going on a little better. And I didn't. Watching it this time, I didn't really realize, like, how big, like, this was at the time, especially being in Boston, a place that is predominantly Catholic with the huge presence of the Catholic Church and how big the church is in these kind of bad neighborhoods where, you know, these, these, you know, crimes or whatever are taking place. So, I, I mean, I, I guess when I watched it before, I didn't really understand the magnitude of it, but watching it this time, I was kind of like, I was sitting there watching, and I was like, oh, wow, this is huge. This is, like, an important thing. I can see why this movie won Best Picture now. Not only because it's done, you know, incredibly well, but also it's a serious subject that, um, I think Tom McCarthy did a great job of, of, you know, portraying on screen, and Michael Keaton and Rachel McAdams and Mark Ruffalo and everyone in, involved did a good job of, you know, showing, you know how how bad it was at the time and how how everyone was actively pushing back on the spotlight team to like not run the story not dig deeper because they're just you know they're going to get themselves in trouble and ultimately they prevailed at the end and now uh you know we everything happens in the, the way we know it now uh yeah like i'd seen the movie only once before but kind of like contrary to what alex was saying like i thought it was I thought it was like very well done and that I was able to follow and keep along. Sure, you might like lose some of the names and the faces that they're attributed to, but I think like the whole uncovering aspect and you're able to see like, okay, this person's all for this cause or this person's kind of waning. Is he on the right side? Like beyond just the like names and like faces of the characters, you're able to see where they were in that situation. And it's hard to it's hard to picture how big of a deal like that this was at the time because like like the whole Catholic ch- uh, church like abusing uh, children like has kind of been like a big like touchstone in like our culture like you see it on uh, comedy standups and just like it's sort of been like a bit that's been around for a while but this is like the uncovering of that specific like I don't know epidemic would be the word just big issue that the church has and like how big of an issue that is and how prominent the church has been like or is throughout just like life and culture in general especially in boston because it takes a big point to show how they're involved with the government and like they're involved with a lot of different businesses in the area and how like they all work to better the community yet are still not willing to are still willing to bury a secret that they should have taken care of themselves long ago. So I think that that was just done really well. And also like there's like amazing shots and like different character elements, but I can go into those later. Yeah. After I watched the movie, I went back and I read the original spotlight article and it took me like 
20 to 25 minutes to read it. It's just like that big of an article. So the fact that they were able to fit the majority of that into the movie, even if you can't put a name to every single face, I thought that was super impressive. And just as a journalism major in college, I've learned a lot about just that journalism is more than going to games and writing about it on the sports side. It's about like doing the extra hard work, sleepless nights like they showed in this movie, just the stress behind it. But in the end, you obviously got to see it pay off. You got to see, I think it was churches in over 400 cities had cases come forward. So it was it was cool for me to see just like what good investigating, what really good solid reporting can do. Um, and I think they showed a really good job of that in this movie by even if it could be boring at some points to some people. I didn't find it boring just going to countless people's houses, doing countless reports, countless interviews, looking through um, those texts in the library with what the pastors were doing, if they were on leave, if they're on sick leave. Like that isn't necessarily entirely um, interesting to people, but it's like essential to the nitty gritty of like everyday journalism. Yeah, this yeah. movie, it took place in the early 2000s, so they didn't really have everything. Everything wasn't really computerized, so they did have to go through, like, thousands, like, not thousands, but, like, a ton of books and, you know, go through page by page and looking for, like, these, there's that scene where they find the books in the basement where it, 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 it tells where each priest is every year, and they have to go through, like, tens of books, like, looking for, like, just, like, sick leave, absence, you know, uh, transferred or whatever it is. And it just shows kind of how, like, they did have to grind this out. One one thing I did actually enjoy about the movie was it didn't really show a lot of the characters' personal lives, which it just kind of implied implied them in a sense. Like, we met Rachel McAdams' characters. Uh, I think it was her husband. And then, uh, oh, the guy with the mustache, uh, Brian, Brian D'Arcy James. Uh, we met. We didn't meet his wife and kids, but we saw we saw them briefly in clips. We never met Mark Ruffalo's wife. We never met uh, 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 Michael Keaton's wife or her kids. So I, I I really liked how it didn't really show the personal lives of these of the writers, and so we it didn't. So we can focus more on what they are doing as opposed to them as characters. Does that make sense? It did yeah. have it did have some elements like with uh, Rachel McAdams' character her nana and how she'd bring up how she goes to church with her or she stopped going to church with her. And at the end when she's sitting down and watching her nana, like read the article and like, just trying to like unpack like what she thinks of this whole thing. Like mm-hmm. those are just like short, like brief clips that show how like the public perceived it, not necessarily how their like specific impact, like how it like impacted their families or anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and I think a lot of the impact that they did show was, I think it was Michael Keaton's character. He was looking back and he saw, oh my gosh, that was my pastor. I was at that church at the same time. Like, that could have been me. And I think that's one thing that the movie did really well at showing, like, this wasn't just happening to, like, a select few. It was happening to thousands and thousands of kids in the Boston area and ultimately all around the world. So showing just the impact that it could have been the reporters, it could have been them dealing with that issue, I think was really good. Yeah. That was emphasized, like, specifically with that Robbie character. Because, like, even from, like, I think it was the first shot, maybe, like, it shows how, like, they're at a retirement party for, like, one of the uh, members of the staff, and he, like, and, like, the editor, like, nods it off to Robbie because, like, Robbie, like, you've known this guy longer than anyone else here. And, like, he, like, like is very, like, playful with him and everyone else. And, like, throughout the movie, when he's going to meet his contacts and, like, double-check this information, he has a personal history with, like, almost anyone he runs into. Mm. So, like, being able to see, like, that connection and that strain he's feeling between, like, the uh, friendships and, like, connections he's made in Boston versus, like, the truth that he knows should come out. It's kind of emphasized, like, when in that realization uh, part, like, near the end where um, they realized that uh, Robbie, like, had heard about this before and just kind of buried it and, like, didn't investigate it like he should have. 
I don't think he necessarily tried to bury it. I think he, well, it, towards the end he said, you know, it was in Metro. They released the story in Metro like five years ago, and they're like, that was you, Robbie. And they're like, yeah, I know. I was early on the job. I It was like one of my first stories. I saw it. I didn't really pay too much attention of it, so we just ran it as opposed to digging deeper. And so I think one, one uh, part of the movie that I think was kind of cool is how – not cool, but important was how – each of the all four of the writers kind of had a personal tie to the story. You know, Robbie's was like he he didn't do a good job of covering it five years later, and it's part of his reason that it's still going on. You know, five years after they published that original story, uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. You know, he grew up he liked going to church, and now he's seeing what's happening to these kids, and he and he wants to put a stop to it. Uh, uh, Brian Darcy James's character, uh, he has a wife and kids, and one of the houses that these priests go and stay at during the rehabilitation is like right around the corner from his house and so he wants to make sure that this doesn't happen to like his own kids or the neighborhood kids and rachel mcadams's character is like her nana goes there and she 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 doesn't want to so she can't tell her nana what's happening but she doesn't want to support it and so they all have like their own reasons for why this case is important to them as opposed to some of the other cases they've done in the past and i thought that was a really cool detail that wasn't really said but more implied yeah well Uh, you go ahead ben I was just going to put a comment. Yeah, I should have used the term overlooked or um, accidentally just just brushed over instead of the term buried. That was just a... Yeah, no, you're good. So yeah, one, of, one of the overall themes of the entire movie was that this is a system issue. Like, this isn't an individual priest issue. And the system obviously mostly includes just the Boston Catholic Church and the Catholic Church overall. But the system can also, like, include everyday people. So the fact that it showed that Robbie Robinson, like, just glanced over it and missed it. And mm-hmm. um, the guy with the mustache, he was living, like, a block away from it. It showed just how we in everyday life, not necessarily in this scandal, but with greater issues going on in the world, like poverty and human trafficking... Like, this is happening in our everyday life, and there may be times where we have a chance to fix it or a chance to step in, and we don't. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something um, Tom McCarthy did a really good job of establishing in this movie. What were some of you guys' favorite performances in the movie? I have one that's probably an uncommon pick, but I want to hear your guys'. I loved Mark Ruffalo's performance, especially as it got to the end and as the stress was um, drawing on, when... They were like super close to being able to publish the story, but still needed a couple weeks. And mm-hmm. he and he was just like yelling at Robbie Robinson, saying, "There are kids out there right now, like being assaulted, being molested, and we're just gonna sit here and not publish the story." Like that yeah. piece of acting in that scene was just—it almost made the movie. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen Dark Waters at all? It came out like last year, I think. I've heard of it. I it's another film starring Mark Ruffalo where he like investigates in like an institutionalized issue. Like in that one, it's like a company poisoning like a whole county's like water supply likes. And he like plays a very similar character, like with different, like with a very specific quirk sort of like, mm-hmm. cause you notice like in this movie, he like sort of like shifted his lip or like had like a certain like facial expression that he'd keep whenever he was listening and that just mm-hmm. kind of like made you like feel into the movie instead of him just like standing there like with a blank face and that movie's on, that movie's on netflix isn't it dark Lord. i have no idea i just remember seeing it like last fall but okay. um if you like if you like mark ruffalo's performance like it's kind of like that plus more screen time of like that exact same like performance in that movie too what was your favorite performance in this movie, though, man? Um, I was kind of split. Like, I didn't think about this at all, but just now when you mentioned it, I think, like, my favorite is kind of split between um, Mitchell, the lawyer, who, like, was representing all of these uh, different cases. Garabedian, yeah. Garabedian, yeah. And the guy who, the organizational leader of SNAP, who, like, was the one who was organizing and like meeting with all these different victims 
mm-hmm. and trying to organize and like create a push behind it. I think both of those guys had very good performances because they were able to show like not really a desperation for their cause, but an exhaustion for their cause because they both seemed fed up with having to go through and like bring out the victims and have them like give their testimonies again because that was hard for them. And they feel that like they've sort of given up on trying to not give up in a way, but discouraged because of how like the globe had uh, ignored their plight before and they don't want it to happen again. And like, they're just like, I don't know. They shows like a exhaustion that comes from like a battle that has been fight, been fighting for a long time. Yeah. So I actually, Jake talks about Mark Ruffalo. I didn't, I, the performance was good, but I found his character really annoying. I think it was the way he talked. <laughs> and that's that's no that's no you know. Oh, I'm that's not, not I'm the not, Hulk. I'm not uh, I'm not bashing the performance. It's a good performance, but just the way he talked just really annoyed me. I didn't really like it when I first started watching it. I was kind of tired of seeing him on screen because I just I hated the way like his he talked. But my my favorite performance was probably Leave uh Leave Schreiber, Marty Baron. He was the new editor for Miami. You know what I'm talking about with the beard, yeah. the Jewish guy. Yeah. So I I I really thought he did a fantastic job as. As Marty Baron, I thought it was super believable. He seemed like his character seemed genuinely passionate about, you know, news and the subject of the Catholic Church. And I, I don't know, I really is kind of like Euphoria, uh, which is a show I just watched. I think we're going to talk about next week. Uh, there's a there's the character Nate in Euphoria. Every time he was on screen, I felt glued to the screen. I couldn't take my eyes off him because his performance was so good. And that was kind of the same way I felt about Spotlight and Leif Shriver's performance as Marty Baron. Every time he was on screen, I couldn't you know take my eyes off him just because I thought he was doing such a, a believable job of playing you know uh, a, a Jewish newspaper editor in Boston. Uh, also, he plays Ray Donovan, which this character is kind of a complete 180. Ray Donovan is like a, I think he's like a serial killer, not a serial killer, but like a hitman like or something. private eye or something, isn't it? And he's something like he's something like I don't know. It's a it's a it's a show where he's got guns and he's jumping in cars and chasing bad guys. So, <laughs> but I thought it was, it was a complete you know 180 from the kind of character he's used to playing there. I actually. <laughs> Uh, saw Marty Baron speak last October in Washington D.C. and the portrayal of his character was like 100% accurate. He was just, I mean, in the movie he obviously cared, but they pointed to it a lot. Just that, like, he's a very dry, like, hard to get emotion out of guy, and that's exactly what him speaking yeah. was like. Like reserved and thoughtful, sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to get into what we didn't like? Yeah, I was just about to say that. I didn't have a ton, um, so I'll shoot to you guys first and just bounce off of if uh, we have any that are similar. So, uh, for me, I didn't have any hardly at all. There was a couple times where like they had like certain shots that I didn't really care for. I was like, you don't really need that shot there. One of them was uh, when they got the news when they got the clips from like is in the beginning of the movie they got the clips from the basement and they're the lady is packing them up in the mail cart to bring them up there's a scene where it's like they're showing her packing up and then she's walking down and then it's like a, a a first person view of her like pushing the cart and i was like you didn't really need that you know cut in there and then there's a few other shots like that i was like that's not really like a good shot you didn't need that there and then uh like the coloring was really dull which which like I could I could talk about that as a criticism but at the same time I understand it because uh, going back to Euphoria it's another like 180 like that shows bright colors and the lighting's very dramatic as opposed to Spotlight where the lighting's very you know dull it's a lot of you know grays and light blues and you know tans and stuff and it's not a lot of bright colors but that's because this isn't a bright subject they need to like by not having these like vivid colors it's making you focus more on the characters and the story and not you know everything else is catching your eye i think that just kind of would set the tone like that whole color palette ideal i didn't mind it because i understood like if this is what they were going for that it kind of just set like the dull like routine aspect like a lot of the time is spent like in an office or outside Mm -hmm. in the streets of like boston which is like predominantly like pretty like crappy weather i think i wouldn't know but yeah i think that just sort of like emphasizes the whole 
drudging routine aspects of the job that they're doing and mm. sort of just the environment that this is just overlooked on just because it seemed like it seems as just another part of like a crappy part of life like that they've kind of accepted there yeah yeah so, i think the i yeah. think the dullness of everything kind of plays into every single part of the movie just in general for a lot of people church is dull the catholic church is dull mm. and just as a city boston is like the hub for american history it's where a lot of just founding fathers that in philadelphia so it's just like a big history town it's it's old and just a lot of the like a lot of the colors there aren't too vibrant it's a lot of brick building so Mm -hmm. with how they played it to that i think it made a lot of sense but i also do see where it can be a criticism just because it is it is a little harder on the eye and it's a little harder to stay interested at points yeah uh, like i said i i I've stylistically if the goal was to not make it you know bright and vivid and have you more focused i think it's genius um if it was kind of unintentional i mean is it a negative yeah i guess but it's nothing that i'm gonna tear apart the movie for it was still the story was so interesting it got me involved that i didn't really care about the you know the coloring at times ben did you have any negatives um Honestly, not really. I mean, if you go into this expecting a Marvel movie, you're not gonna get one. You have Why, to prepare. Because the Hulk is in it. The <laughs> Hulk. They has Sabretooth. And it, Batman. It has Birdman in it. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah. I mean, if you know what you're going into, I think it's not like if it's not a surprise to you or anything. Like, I think you can really be engaged in the movie if you have the right mindset, which you should be. I mean, if that's what you're choosing to put on but yeah i don't think i had really a whole lot of problems like maybe like some things that would like distract or like not really have my full attention at points sort of like the shots you were talking about alex where it's just like plain like routine like picking up papers and bringing them up to a floor like pushing them in a cart and things like that but i can excuse that because i can see that as them trying to display like the hard work and like manpower that goes into the process of journalism mm-hmm. because that's what the whole movie's about and then i feel like uh, like a minute long montage of the papers being printed or something like that just like wants to show how the system works and like how many people are involved in putting out information like this mm-hmm. yeah i'd agree just i mean this movie won best picture so naturally, there's not going to be too many flaws or negatives. And the only thing I could think of was just, Alex touched on it earlier, how many characters there are and kind of how hard it is to follow some of the minor ones. But at the same time, it's also it's also a positive and it's a testament to how many sources went into making this happen, how many people were involved in the situation. So I'm sure it gets easier on rewatch just to recognize who the characters are uh, what they do, what their importance is to the story. But overall, there were not very many negatives to this movie. Yeah, so, cause this, this was your first yeah. time watching it, so you were able to keep up pretty well with everything that was happening, like the names and the whole process of it? Yep, I was. Okay. So, uh, like like you said before, this play did win Best Picture. It also won Best Screenplay. Uh, I wanna, I'm wanna i going to name off like the nominees for Best, Screen, Best Picture – and then also best screenplay. I want you guys to tell me if you think it is deserving of you know the awards. So for best picture in 2016, Spotlight was up against Bridges Spies, directed by Steven Spielberg, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, uh, The Martian, starring uh, Matt Damon, The Big Short with Brad Pitt, uh, I think McConaughey's in it, uh, Steve Carell. No, not McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, the uh, what is that? It's Carell, oh, Pitt, Bale. And, yep, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Gosling. And then uh, Room uh, by Ed Gini, and then Brooklyn by Amanda Poser and Finola Dwyer. So do you, do you guys think Spotlight was deserving of it? I really liked The Martian. I don't know if it was a best picture. I thought the cinematography was better. Uh, the Revenant I haven't seen, but I'm going to take everyone's word for it that it is good. And then I heard Mad Max Fury Road. Ben, I know you're a big uh, the Big Short fan. So do you think do you guys think Spotlight was deserving of Best Picture? 
of that list, all I've seen is The Martian. But from what I've seen, um, I think Spotlight was deserving. But mm. I also haven't seen the whole variety of the nominees. Yeah. Okay. Um, of that list, I haven't seen um, The Martian, believe it or not, uh, The Revenant, or um, Brooklyn. But I have seen all the other movies of that. And sort of to the point, okay, I'll get into cinematography later, so I'll save that. Um, But just like as a whole overall standpoint, Room is a very good movie. Stars Brie Larson and is about like just sort of like the kidnapping and a like child who's been living like in solitude basically just with his mother for most of his life and then leaving that. And that's a really impactful movie. Like that's about like, families and motherhood and sort of just like the struggles and like difficulties that come with like explaining a difficult situation to a child mm-hmm. like um that one's really good uh the big short was an effective way to like it was a humorous yet somehow like destructive view on the whole uh stock market not stock market housing market crash in 2008 and that was like put together very well, but had some flaws in its own. Um, Mad Max was just like <laughs> that movie's just fun. Like the shots are all done really well. It, like keeps you on the edge of your seat for the whole time. But I think overall that like yeah, Spotlight definitely deserved like the win, even though the other movies are very good in contention. I feel that the performances, the screenplay, uh, the shots that I can get to in a minute are all, like, phenomenal and, like, all play into, like, the perfect, like, message that this movie's trying to send. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree. I think it is deserving. I Like I said, I really like The Martian. I really like The Big Short. Uh, but I think, honestly, I think it comes down to, when you went into giving a best picture, it's kind of a joke at this point. But, like, war. that's why war movies do so well is because, like, best picture is also, like, yeah, just like the acting and the cinematography and everything, all that. But it's also like the historical impact of it, and if someone can portray the historical impact of it in like a really well, way, like a really good way, then I think that plays into it a lot. And I think, I think that's why kind of the Big Short and uh, Spotlight were kind of should have been like the two that you know it came down to, and then Spotlight ultimately I thought was the better movie of the two. Uh, but like you, but like this year, Parasite won. Uh, obviously over 1917, which I was surprised because usually 19, like movies like 1917, World War II movies like that really, you know, take the cake. I haven't seen Parasite, but I know you really like Get it. Get on it. Oh my God. It's on Hulu yeah, now. It's that. on Hulu it, now. I'll I got an it. alert that I got added to Hulu. So I was actually going to mention after the show that we should review that in the next couple of weeks. Cause I Both of you need to watch that. Oh my so, gosh. So Parasite's on Hulu and then Portrait of a Lady on Fire is also on Hulu. So I gotta watch this too. And then I also want to check out the new Pete Davidson movie. I heard that was pretty good. So those are those are some new ones. Um, finally, I'll just you guys can be quick about this if you want. Uh, it won best screenplay. Also, the nominees it was up against was uh, Bridge of Spies again, uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, Ex Machina, uh, by Alex Gar- written by Alex Garland, Inside Out, uh, the Disney movie, uh, and then Straight Outta Compton. So do you guys think that? Uh, <laughs> I know Inside Out on. probably should have been the winner, but would you guys agree with the with them winning the screenplay? Yep. <laughs> I love Straight Outta Compton, and it's actually pretty good too. But um, Spotlight for sure. <laughs> I all jokes aside, I did hear that Inside Out actually was a pretty good movie, but I don't know if I would give it best screenplay over spotlight straight out of Com- compton and ex machina so i yeah. think we're all kind of agreement there uh do you want to get into the ratings or what we would yeah. Rate this out of- yeah so before we get to our ratings i do have one fun fact about the movie that i'll let you guys guess fun <laughs> so when they were at fenway park the boston red sox um baseball stadium mm-hmm. who can be seen in the background is he an actor? No. Is he an athlete? No. Is it President <laughs> Barack Obama? <laughs> oh. That's my guess. Is Barack Obama? Hey, I can do a little beatbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 
idea. Yeah, Gil. The answer is the real Robbie Robinson, Sasha oh, really? Pfeiffer, and Michael Residence. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's, so a, that's the, a good the original one. Spotlight team. I wish it was Obama, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> which also, the original Spotlight team, when the movie won Best Picture, they went up on stage with the cast um, to receive the award. I, don't I, think know, I think I did know that, actually. Yeah, I think, I so I think, I think that was a cool nod also. But <laughs> All right, so you want to get into your rating out of 10 now? All right, uh, Jake, you can go first. I gave it a 9. I think um, as far as historical films go, and as with this cast, I think it's very close to like one of the best movies I've ever seen, one of the best put-together movies I've ever seen. And just the... Emotional and historical impact on it, I don't think, can be um, credited enough. Mm-hmm. Ben, what do you think? Um, is this going to be the last thing we're going to talk about the rating for this movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you want to get something, if you have something else you want to talk about, we can talk about it after, though. Okay. Um, this one, I'm giving it an eight. I mean, it's a really like well done movie, and like the eight shouldn't be like a discreditment at all to the like display on hand that they put forth and make this movie, but like had me interested, but it didn't necessarily like have me on the edge of my seat. I guess that's what I'd be missing for the next nine to 10 notches. But that's just me being a perfectionist. This is a really good movie and I think it's well-deserving of your attention. Yeah, I think I would go somewhere between. I think I'm going to go with an eight and a half, maybe a nine, but probably eight and a half. Like, like you guys both said, I really liked it. I thought everything was done well. Just, you know, it's small things. I thought there was a few shots that weren't really, you know, that needed or important. And then, you know, the kind of the coloring kind of threw me off. It, this is a great movie. Rating it an eight and a half or a nine out of ten isn't taking away anything from it. There's just small stuff that I would have done better. Uh, there's only a couple movies I would give a 10 out of 10 anyway, and so that that's not knocking Spotlight. It's a fantastic movie. It's definitely deserving a Best Picture. Definitely deserving a Best Screenplay. But you know, just it's not a perfect 10 for me. All right, Ben, is there something you want to talk about now? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to get into the shots real quick because that's what I'm big on. Okay, a lot well, of you the... can kind of go on a tangent if you want. <laughs> It'll be a 30 second tangent. Um, a lot of the shots when they're walking around outside are like shown with a basilica or a church in the background, like some of them more plainly than others. Like there was one where it was just like a three second cut of like one of the victims or someone that they were going to try and talk to just leaning outside on his porch with a basilica looming in the background as like the camera zoomed out to show the scope of like the magnitude that it had, like and its presence over that like house in that general area. And also uh, in one of the scenes, there's a realization like that the church was like involved in holding public records that the government had released under, under wraps and keeping them suppressed. So like they wouldn't be easy, ex- easily accessible. And like a lot of the characters are like having this conversation outside of a courthouse. And after they leave, the camera like zooms back and like it lingers on a shot that like behind the courthouse was a big basilica like the whole time and like mm-hmm. it like leaves on that to like hold that realization like in your mind giving you like a visual interpretation of like what you had just seen and then also there's a good scene where um Mark Ruffalo's character um is reading a letter that he like discovered about like um, a victim's mother who was pleading like for the church to like have any action in removing that pastor from their parish. And like, it's mm-hmm. a very emotional letter. And like, as he's reading it in a taxi from like the courthouse to the um, um, newspaper building, whatever they're called, uh, like it follows and like circles around the taxi as it's going through Boston, like showing like dead eyed, like a uh, Boston citizens, like, pushing their like kids on a swing or just like showing like the drudgery and like, um, I don't know, just showing a lot of dead eyed Boston citizens looking sad and stuff. I thought that was a good visual aspect to add to it. Looking sad and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think we're, I think we're pretty much done with spotlight. Would you say Jake? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, 
definitely a good movie if you haven't seen it and you're listening. Definitely recommend watching it. Um, in terms of history or just, I, I think it's an enjoyable movie to watch, and I think it's important in understanding just the broad aspect and what goes into um, good reporting and good media, because that's obviously a word now that's thrown around a lot on social media with fake news and stuff like that. And this is what really does show um, what good reporting is. But while we have them here, uh, one thing we're going to do for all the guests we have on our show is have them name their top five movies. Uh, we did this in our first episode. We can link that in the bio if you want to go back and listen to that. But for now, we'll give it off to Ben for his top five movies. Um, <laughs> uh, do you guys care at all about the recent movies that I've watched, or is that just a thing that you guys do? That, I mean, you don't have to do that's that. A, yeah, no, just give us your top five. Don't, okay. We don't want to hear you top five. <laughs> we don't want to hear it. Just get it over with. Um, okay. Um, starting with number five, um, my, um, this is just kind of thrown together. Um, like my fifth favorite movie is Inside Lewin Davis. It's a Coen Brothers movie starring Oscar Isaac, just about the grind and like the week in the life of a 1960s, I believe, a folk singer just trying to like make a living through his music. And it's a really discouraging movie. Oddly, like he just gets beaten down and like turned around, like turned away at every turn. But the ending is amazing, and it'll just put the whole perspective of that movie and your own life just like in rear view and perspective, and it'll make you think a whole lot. And there's it's a- got a it's got a feature from the guy from Mumford and Sons too. So yeah, so it has that. to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of good folk music in it too. So yeah, um, number four is Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm a big uh, Wes Anderson fan, and a lot of his films are like have a very similar tone, and they almost bleed together in a way. But Fantastic Mr. Fox stood apart for me just because of all the talent in the voice work. There's Meryl Streep, George Clooney, um, Jason Schwartzman, um, Bill Murray. There's just like the whole cast and catalog that usually come with Wes Anderson's films are all done like extraordinarily well but in the framework of like little claymation animals and that's kind of hilarious to me and they do a lot with visual and like visual and good writing in that comedy that like make the whole like viewing experience like very like i don't know i like it (laughs) um number three was the social network um, it was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by David Fincher and stars Jesse Eisenberg. And it's just, I rewatched it recently and it's just such a good movie all around the board. Like talking about the greed and the desire for success, but at what cost aspect of one of the, like of the biggest platform that we have today in our modern age, which is social media. And it's just done very well with interesting shots, sharp dialogue, and excellent music by Trent Reznor. Like, very good soundtrack that I come back to time and time again. And overall, it's just a really engaging movie that keeps you on edge the whole time. Um, Number two was La La Land. (laughs) I know Jake put uh, Whiplash in, and that that was a real close competition between these two movies. And I really love Whiplash. But, like, La La Land, like, I'm not a huge musical or, I don't know, overly optimistic (laughs) and that type of movie guy. But just, like, that movie just, like, kind of makes you feel good. Like, even though, like, the dreams or the relationship doesn't work out at the end, spoiler. Um, And, like, it's sort of, like, well, okay, well, watch it then. That's not my problem. (laughs) um the performances from ryan gosling and emma stone like their chemistry just kind of has you have a smile on your face like the whole movie and the music kind of slaps like if a whole lot of red was dropped it could (laughs) not be as good as the lala land soundtrack is 
Did you say Ryan Gosling? <laughs> oh, wait, Whoa, we got him on the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> no, La La Land, the opening scene in traffic on the bridge is one of like my favorite movie scenes ever. It's so, it's so well done. The final, the last epilogue is my favorite part by far. But yeah, I, I thought about having La La Land in my top five like you. But yeah. go on to your number one. <laughs> okay, for all you <laughs> for all you Bernie supporters and dyed haired fanatics. You're so edgy <laughs> then. Um, wow. My, <laughs> my first choice is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Hey. <laughs> Get him off the podcast. <laughs> it's cringy. It's it's progressive, but I don't care because it's amazing. It's one of those movies where, like, the movie is fine, but the fans are terrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good movie, but just the fans, you'd like, oh, my God, they're so great. <laughs> like The Office. But, exactly. yeah, I'm a part of that fan base. Like, I know it's not perfect, but when, like, the comedy or when the visual, like, displays hit, they hit hard. Like, it's so funny. And, they like, the visual... The information that they're able to explain, like just with the camera work and the transition. Okay, I can get into a lot of the technical stuff. I really like Edgar Wright, and Michael Sarah is hilarious, and the cast is amazing. And yeah, if you haven't watched it, do it. It's a great Edgar time. Edgar Wright did Baby Driver, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote and directed that. That's what I thought. Um. Okay. I mean, do you have anything to say, Jake? I already booed him for liking Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> no, I, I don't have anything that's a pretty solid top five, but an even better top five we're going to go on to is from the <laughs> Netflix original I Think You Should Leave. We've already mentioned it like way too many times on this podcast, but our final segment of the day is our top five I Think You Should Leave skits. And if you don't know, this is just a comedy show. Um written directed and starring tim robinson it there's not much to it other than the fact that it skits about awkward situations so we're gonna go to alex first about his top five skits and this is a this is a show that's highly quoted in our friend group so i would not be surprised if um our top five kind of overlap we'll go to you first ben and the time it takes to explain these skits or the show itself, you could just watch it yourself because each skit is like three minutes long and like the episodes are 16 minutes long. So I'm not going to go into a whole lot of the plot of each one of these ridiculous things. Just explain what I like about them. Number five is Baby of the Year. Um, Bart Harley Jarvis. I think that's all I need to say about it. <laughs> uh, it's all set up like with this ridiculous like way overblown like intro song that just makes fun of any of the reality competition shows but in the best way possible where people are overly aggressive about the contestants (laughs) and just (laughs) are overly too emotional about something as dumb as pointless as baby of the year this is me throwing shade at all the bachelor shows but whatever the bad boy, the competition. <laughs> <laughs> and other expletives that ensue. Uh, fourth favorite is the funeral traffic scene. Um, I say funeral over traffic just because it's like, what, a five-minute skit or something like that? And like yeah, only, the, one. only the last minute is like about a funeral. and like, But the buildup is just like so ridiculous because it just has this crazy stalker honking his horn and you don't know why. And then finally when he confronts the guy who's following him, it just gets ridiculous. Like it just increases in ridiculousness, leading to one of the best musical number endings since La La Land. <laughs> and I don't know what else to say about that. Um, number three is... a. Uh, uh, babe, uh, skeletons came to life <laughs> uh, the day that Robert Palin murdered me. Um, it just shows that <laughs> it's a lot like Lewin Davis in some way with an artist trying to put his name out there and be accepted into the music industry that's 
not into what he's trying to provide at the time, but with little twists that gets real spooky. Um, <laughs> number two is the gift receipt uh, birthday party episode <laughs> <laughs> skit. Just because, like, I don't know, that's just Tim Robinson in a nutshell. You can't really explain it. He just has, like, a very singular presence that just takes up the entire skit with just <laughs> its ridiculous narr- uh, <laughs> evolution. Don't go anywhere near that. But it's also got a good, like, supporting cast, too. It's got my boy Squeeze in it. Um, <laughs> it's got <laughs> the, t- the couple who, like, play and eat the receipt is, like, one of the funniest, like, deliveries. Like, the boyfriend is overly aggressive about the situation <laughs> and takes it way too serious, which I love. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's funny. And number one was Car Ideas, just because I don't I don't know what that guy's from. I don't know if he's been in anything else, but I yeah, really hope it... it that was like his first. I saw an interview with Tom Robinson or yeah. Tim Robinson. So that was his first like acting gig ever. <laughs> Stinky. Literally, like for no reason. Like I'll just like be walking around and see something and be like too small. <laughs> <laughs> or like if my brother asks a question, like what's the problem or like how to fix it, I'll be like, <laughs> so the so the hand so the wheel does not fly off when you are driving. <laughs> <laughs> for, you have no good ideas, Paul. <laughs> Just the, <laughs> he admitted to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he admitted. Oh, uh, but just any time like he speaks or any of the people involved with the think tank like start like getting on his side and supporting him, like it's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Alex, what's your top five? Okay, so my number five. This is this is really hard because I like all of them. My number five, uh, probably not car idea. Maybe like I think bones are their money. The uh, the night Robert Palin came to life. Uh, just <laughs> the ending where he's like, uh, we we're really more interested in what Billy was saying. Billy isn't me, or Billy isn't him. Your name's Billy too. No, that's why I'm so confused. <laughs> That part has me has me rolling every time. Yeah. Uh, number four, probably hot dog. The hot dog cart when it crashes in, and he's like, <laughs> it's like that guy's wearing a hot dog suit too, and he's like, Tim might be dressed up by like a hot dog, but you're wearing an actual hot dog costume. And <laughs> like, wow, we're so in- trapped in our phones. Okay, so that's the end of that joke. Uh, <laughs> number three. Uh, I th- I like the uh the laser spine specialists. Oh yeah. Uh, where he's like, <laughs> there's like I can finally lift my adult son above my head and there ain't shit he can do about it. And then <laughs> wrestling with his kid, I like his like son's like dinner with his family. And then uh, Moon River Rock. Moon River Rock. <laughs> yeah, that the funny part about that skit is it does like a 180 like three different times. Like he's like, I can now fight my wife's new husband, Danny Travis, or something like that. Uh, so that's my number three. Uh, two. I had a whole list and I just completely forgot it right when you guys asked me the question. Uh. What was my number two? I can't think of my number two, but my number one is the one that got me, you know, in love with the show, and that's uh, uh, the mob movie. <laughs> Stanzo brand fedoras. That as soon as I saw that one, I I was watching. I watched the show. I introduced all you guys to the show. I saw that scene, and then I just sent that clip to everybody because I wanted everyone to see it because it's just so f- the end when they're like, "All oh, these stink." No, they're Stanzos. They're nice. <laughs> <laughs> So stupid. Oh, I don't remember my number two. It was the magician one. <laughs> just what? Like, cause of the ending or what? <laughs> it's just funny because they're like at a show and then she's like, he embarrassed you in front of everybody. <laughs> I don't know. Just the progression of like how dark it gets. It's just so funny to me. They took out your little boy dick and jerked you off in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't worry, that's in I context. Apologize. <laughs> I apologize for the profanity, but to get the funny joke, you have to use it. Yeah, that's you have to repeat it. <laughs> All right, Jake, have you given so, your top five yet? No, okay. I'm I'm gonna do mine right now. So my my uh, five, except one, has already been covered. So I'll go through it kind of quickly. But first, I want to give a couple honorable mentions. One to the babysitter. One where they show up, where Tim Robinson and his husband show up late to a dinner party, and he says, "Just tell him the babysitter was late." So <laughs> he says that the babysitter's late, but then he just continues to explain, "Is like, yeah, the babysitter got in a hit and run." And the <laughs> named Barry is like, "Wait, really? That's like a serious issue." And he's like, "Yeah, but the the people were kind of like nobody." So then <laughs> they just didn't matter. Barry like gets into um, ex- just like keep a- he keeps asking questions and Tim's character's like, I'm going to embarrass you, Barry. So he just goes around <laughs> throughout the skit, just embarrassing him at his own house in very different ways. Uh, I about put that in my top five, but that's my honorable mention. My number five, I'm surprised neither of you guys had this bozo dubbed over with spaces in between mm-hmm. the words. <laughs> yeah, it's that one is the top one. <laughs> where uh, everyone in his like I think it's like a work group, I don't know exactly what it is, but they're showing funny videos on YouTube and they ask if he has any and he can't think of any. So the Honestly, next... I think that first part of that skit is like the best part. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's him just trying to play yeah. off that he doesn't know anything funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it reminds me of a Beetlejuice when they ask him what he think what color a carrot is. He's like, carrot? Uh, I don't know much about carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so in between the part one and part two, uh, Tim Robinson character, uh, he goes home and he dubs over a video of Bozo the Clown. And you can't really explain it. Just the quotes are so funny. No, you can't say them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I won't spoil it for you guys. So if you haven't watched it, you should totally go watch this show. As I've said already, it takes like an hour and a half to watch the entire season one. My number four is Traffic. Ben already talked about it earlier, but um, mm-hmm. that's one of the favorite ones. And Tim Robinson singing at his mom's funeral. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's probably the hardest I've ever laughed at any TV show ever. <laughs> um, number three, shout out to my boy Squeeze with Gift Receipt. Yeah. Tim Rot, it's one of his friend's birthday, uh, and they're having a birthday party. They bring him gifts. He acts super excited for one of the couples, but then he, when Tim gives him one, he's like, oh, thanks, Tim. It, it just goes on like normal, but just like 20 seconds later, Tim's like, you like the gift, right? <laughs> yeah, of course I liked it. Well, well can I eat the receipt? Because if you like it, you're not going to eat the receipt. <laughs> so it just goes on and is pretty ridiculous about um, eating the receipt. Shouldn't have had such a sloppy mud sloppy pie. Mud pie. <laughs> it's just like the show, the skits are so ridiculous, but they're so just like, you can also just kind of see it happening in real life just to a much lesser extent. I think oh, yeah. it's about the show the most. I Number think a two, lot of the sh- I think a lot of the show is just like, like especially in that skit is just like exposing like your social anxieties, like being caught in an awkward situation, and just doing literally anything to get out of it or try and play your way you, off why of it. Why do you do that? With the, <laughs> with the receipt, with the hot dog skit, um, <laughs> like I Wait. think. That's what, what makes it so social, good. If your social insecurities is driving a hot dog shaped car through a suit store. Yeah, like, <laughs> like just being caught metaphorically with your pants down and like trying to explain <laughs> like explain yourself out of a situation that you're clearly yeah. at fault for. He just does the worst ways of possibly like avoiding the situation. <laughs> like the hit, the take, hit run. It's like what? I'm gonna take whatever <laughs> I can find. Go back then, down to Wiener Hall. And then tries to play off, play it off, but when that doesn't work, he just resolves to trying to destroy a person's life within one day. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so ridiculous, and I love it so much. So, number two is the baby shower. This is Alex's number one. It's the mob scene. If you've seen any mob movie ever, it's just 
it's kind of just playing off of that, making fun of it. But the Stanzo yeah, brand fedoras, just the like the entire like pitch scene for what they should have in the gift bags at the baby showers. Funny, <laughs> but like what makes what makes the whole skit is when they're actually at the party and Tim <laughs> Robinson's wearing his slick ba- slick back slick black hair wig while wearing a fedora. <laughs> uh, yeah. The one quote that really killed me was, uh, they're like, oh, you know what I like, saw? Like, baby shoes would be cute. He's like, do you know what I saw those cute one time? Tommy guns. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was what, the quote that killed me. Yeah. Took my cigars. What's your number one, Jake? Without further ado, my number one is the day Robert Palin murdered me. Hey. Just the, yeah. ori- the original song. It's just got this, like, Johnny Cash-type vibe with the actual Billy. And it's, like, actually a pretty catchy song. It's a very, like, 70s country song. And mm-hmm. then Tim Robinson comes in, and he's like, <laughs> and that's the day where the skeletons came to life. <laughs> just, like, and he just hijacks the song. I don't... <laughs> this is a skit that, like, I don't think I found funny the first couple times. But then, like, there's just one time I watched it, and just knowing the words in my head to the song and then obviously the ending where Billy him or Billy me what you guys are both named Billy like just that scene <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> you said he wanted it spooky <laughs> you said the bones were their money like four different times yeah it's because I forgot if I said it or not <laughs> yeah, he's like yeah folks not in anymore give me something spooky <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh you you have to watch this show if you haven't already seen it and i sometime this week i'm going to go around to making my like top 27 list for all the 27 skits oh, wow. because, yeah because making making my top five was hard enough i think i had it i think i had 13 written down and i had to condense that into five so it's just overall such a funny show, and I find myself rewatching it way more often than the average person, just because it, it doesn't take long, especially episodes four through six. If the the episodes are all like seventeen minutes long, so that's just a little under an hour. That's mm-hmm. how long it is to watch like the absolute just meat of the show. It's yeah, it's a it's a perfect comedy show. Mm-hmm. That everyone I've ever shown it to like. It loves it. I've never met anyone that thinks like, "Oh, this is dumb. I don't like it. Turn it off." You know, everyone. I like. There's a there's a skit for everybody in it, which I think is really a great job by Tim Robinson. Watch. I think you should leave, please. <laughs> yeah, and as, so as, as we've said already, the name of this sh- show is the Turbo Team Podcast, which is in reference to another skit from this show. But, it's not one of the better ones, but it's still funny. It's, you know, it's I just very, thought it was good. Yeah, fun. it's a very. Uh, fitting name for our show uh what is your guys' least favorite skit it's hard to pick one but i think you had to i think the instagram one is my least favorite Uh uh-huh i think i would agree (laughs) i i like i like the last line of that though like after like spewing like these paragraph long insults and she's like what and the other people are like what's wrong with you and she's like why are you guys bullying me (laughs) and just cuts away the problem I have with that one is I just think the joke goes on a little too long, you know? Well, that's kind of the – yeah, yeah. Like, I get that's kind of the point, but, like, I like there can be – there's, like, a comedic level of the joke going on too long, and then there's, like, an annoying part, and I think it kind of crosses over to the annoying part of it. So that's why that's why I have problems with it. Two it's still other, funny, though. Two other honorable mentions for my top five, the Garfield house. Oh, yeah, that was, that was my <laughs> uh, sixth. Yeah, the Garfield house, and then – also, Santa came early. Yeah. <laughs> Santa brought Any, early. Anytime, like we like, we like meet to go somewhere or like a location is set for meeting up. Like I just think in my head, like yeah, mine's a total party house. <laughs> <laughs> or bring a hot dip or something. <laughs> All Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> Fully furnished. <laughs> hey, recline back. This tongue sticks out. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think that's about does it for this week's episode. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I I think um I don't know if there could be more of a contrast between such like a serious um 
like journalistic um, investigative movie like Spotlight and then moving on to our favorite I think should leave skits but <laughs> it's been a it's been a fun show and thanks Ben for joining us but for week three of the Turbo Team podcast with Alex Powell and Ben Neeson I'm Jake Brand and we wish you a good week before we go uh, I want to plug your social medias again uh, you can follow me on Instagram at AlexPXWell. It's just Alex Powell, but the O is an X. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alex30Powell. Um, on, on Instagram, JakeBren32. Twitter, JakeBren32. And Snapchat, JBren32. Uh, follow me at, at JacobSartorius on all social media platforms. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> all right. I think that'll do it for us this week, guys. Thank you. <laughs>